Section forty of Curiosities of Literature, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Curiosities of Literature, Volume three by Isaac Disraeli. Secret History of the Death of Queen Elizabeth it is an extraordinary circumstance in our history that the succession to the english dominion in two remarkable cases was never settled by the possessors of the throne themselves during their lifetime and that there is every reason to believe that this mighty transfer of three kingdoms became the sole act of their ministers who considered the succession merely as a state expedient two of our most able sovereigns found themselves in this predicament queen elizabeth and the protector cromwell cromwell probably had his reasons not to name his successor his positive election would have dissatisfied the opposite parties of his government whom he only ruled while he was able to cajole them he must have been aware that latterly he had need of conciliating all parties to his usurpation and was probably as doubtful on his deathbed whom to appoint his successor as at any other period of his reign ludlow suspects that cromwell was so discomposed in body or mind that he could not attend to that matter and whether he named any one is to me uncertain all that we know is the report of the secretary thurlow and his chaplains who when the protector lay in his last agonies suggested to him the propriety of choosing his eldest son and they tell us that he agreed to this choice had cromwell been in his senses he would have probably fixed on henry the lord lieutenant of ireland rather than on richard or possibly had not chosen either of his sons elizabeth from womanish infirmity or from state reasons could not endure the thoughts of her successor and long threw into jeopardy the politics of all the cabinets of europe each of which had its favorite candidate to support the legitimate heir to the throne of england was to be the creature of her breath yet elizabeth would not speak him into existence this had however often raised the discontents of the nation and we shall see how it harassed the queen in her dying hours it is even suspected that the queen still retained so much of the woman that she could never overcome her perverse dislike to name a successor so that according to this opinion she died and left the crown to the mercy of a party this would have been acting unworthy of the magnanimity of her great character and as it is ascertained that the queen was very sensible when she lay in a dying state several days before the natural catastrophe occurred it is difficult to believe that she totally disregarded so important a circumstance it is therefore reasoning a priori most natural to conclude that the choice of a successor must have occupied her thoughts as well as the anxieties of her ministers and that she would not have left the throne in the same unsettled state at her death as she had persevered in during her whole life how did she express herself when bequeathing the crown to james i or did she bequeath it at all in the popular pages of her female historian miss aiken it is observed that the closing scene of the long and eventful life of queen elizabeth 
was marked by that peculiarity of character and destiny which attended her from the cradle and pursued her to the grave the last days of elizabeth were indeed most melancholy she died a victim of the higher passions and perhaps as much of grief as of age refusing all remedies and even nourishment but in all the published accounts i can nowhere discover how she conducted herself respecting the circumstance of our present inquiry the most detailed narrative or as gray the poet calls it the earl of monmouth's odd account of queen elizabeth's death is the one most deserving notice and there we find the circumstance of this inquiry introduced the queen at that moment was reduced to so sad a state that it is doubtful whether her majesty was at all sensible of the inquiries put to her by her ministers respecting the succession the earl of monmouth says on wednesday the twenty-third of march she grew speechless that afternoon by signs she called for her counsel and by putting her hand to her head when the king of scots was named to succeed her they all knew he was the man she desired should reign after her such a sign as that of a dying woman putting her hand to her head was to say the least a very ambiguous acknowledgment of the right of the scottish monarch to the english throne the odd but very naive account of robert carey afterwards earl of monmouth is not furnished with dates nor with the exactness of a diary something might have occurred on a preceding day which had not reached him camden describes the deathbed scene of elizabeth by this authentic writer it appears that she had confided her state secret of the succession to the lord admiral the earl of nottingham and when the earl found the queen almost at her extremity he communicated her majesty's secret to the council who commissioned the lord admiral the lord keeper and the secretary to wait on her majesty and acquaint her that they came in the name of the rest to learn her pleasure in reference to the succession the queen was then very weak and answered them with a faint voice that she had already declared that as she held a regal sceptre so she desired no other than a royal successor when the secretary requested her to explain herself the queen said i would have a king succeed me and who should that be but my nearest kinsman the king of scots here this state conversation was put an end to by the interference of the archbishop advising her majesty to turn her thoughts to god never she replied has my mind wandered from him an historian of camden's high integrity would hardly have forged a fiction to please the new monarch yet camden has not been referred to on this occasion by the exact birch who draws his information from the letters of the french ambassador villeroy information which it appears the english ministers had confided to this ambassador nor do we get any distinct ideas from elizabeth's more recent popular historian who could only transcribe the account of carey he had told us a fact which he could not be mistaken in that the queen fell speechless on wednesday twenty third of march on which day however she called her council and made that sign with her hand which as the lords choose to understand for ever united the two kingdoms 
but the noble editor of carey's memoirs the earl of cork and orrery has observed that the speeches made for elizabeth on her deathbed are all forged etchard rapin and a long string of historians make her say faintly so faintly indeed that it could not possibly be heard i will that a king succeed me and who should that be but my nearest kinsman the king of scots a different account of this matter will be found in the following memoirs she was speechless and almost expiring when the chief councillors of state were called into her bedchamber as soon as they were perfectly convinced that she could not utter an articulate word and scarce could hear or understand one they named the king of scots to her a liberty they dared not to have taken if she had been able to speak she put her hand to her head which was probably at that time in agonizing pain the lords who interpreted her signs just as they pleased were immediately convinced that the motion of her hand to her head was a declaration of james the sixth as her successor what was this but the unanimous interpretation of persons who were adoring the rising sun this is lively and plausible but the noble editor did not recollect that the speeches made by elizabeth on her deathbed which he deems forgeries in consequence of the circumstance he had found in carey's memoirs originate with camden and were only repeated by rapin and etchard etc i am now to confirm the narrative of the elder historian as well as the circumstance related by carey describing the sign of the queen a little differently which happened on wednesday the twenty-third a hitherto unnoticed document pretends to give a fuller and more circumstantial account of this affair which commenced on the preceding day when the queen retained the power of speech and it will be confessed that the language here used has all that loftiness and brevity which was the natural style of this queen i have discovered a curious document in a manuscript volume formerly in the possession of pettit and seemingly in his own handwriting i do not doubt its authenticity and it could only have come from some of the illustrious personages who were the actors in that solemn scene probably from cecil this memorandum is entitled account of the last words of queen elizabeth about her successor on the tuesday before her death being the twenty-third of march the admiral being on the right side of her bed the lord keeper on the left and mr secretary cecil afterwards earl of salisbury at the bed's feet all standing the lord admiral put her in mind of her speech concerning the succession had at whitehall and that they in the name of all the rest of her council came unto her to know her pleasure who should succeed whereunto she thus replied i told you my seat had been the seat of kings and i will have no rascal to succeed me and who should succeed me but a king the lords not understanding this dark speech and looking one on the other at length mr secretary boldly asked her what she meant by those words that no rascal should succeed her whereto she replied that her meaning was that a king should succeed and who quoth she should that be but our cousin of scotland they asked her whether that were her absolute resolution whereto she answered 
i pray you trouble me no more for i will have none but him with which answer they departed notwithstanding after again about four o'clock in the afternoon the next day being wednesday after the archbishop of canterbury and other divines had been with her and left her in a manner speechless the three lords aforesaid repaired unto her again asking her if she remained in her former resolution and who should succeed her but not being able to speak was asked by mr secretary in this sort we beseech your majesty if you remain in your former resolution and that you would have the king of scots to succeed you in your kingdom show some sign unto us whereat suddenly heaving herself upwards in her bed and putting her arms out of bed she held her hands jointly over her head in manner of a crown whence as they guessed she signified that she did not only wish him the kingdom but desire continuance of his estate after which they departed and the next morning she died immediately after her death all the lords as well of the council as other noblemen that were at the court came from richmond to whitehall by six o'clock in the morning where other noblemen that were in london met them touching the succession after some speeches of divers competitors and matters of state at length the admiral rehearsed all the aforesaid premises which the late queen had spoken to him and to the lord keeper and mr secretary cecil with the manner thereof which they being asked did affirm to be true upon their honour such is this singular document of secret history i cannot but value it as authentic because the one part is evidently alluded to by camden and the other is fully confirmed by Carey, and besides this the remarkable expression of rascal is found in the letter of the french ambassador there were two interviews with the queen and Carey appears only to have noticed the last on wednesday when the queen lay speechless elizabeth all her life had persevered in an obstinate mysteriousness respecting the succession and it harassed her latest moments the second interview of her ministers may seem to us quite supernumerary but carrie's putting her hand to her head too meanly describes the joining her hands in manner of a crown End of section forty.